This is your station, your music, the world famous. WXIN. Providence, Rhode Island, USA. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Stadium Experience with Jake Helms. It's a show where we talk about the latest and greatest happenings in the world of sports right here on 90.7 WXIN. I am joined, as usual, by Mr. Jordan Moment here in our studio. And we have a lot to talk about today. It's been had our usual start of summer sequester. And now we're back. We have a lot to talk about. The NBA Finals coming up this week. NHL playoffs started. NHL players. Stanley Cup Finals started yesterday. Red Sox are still doing stuff. Patriots still doing stuff. Lots to talk about. I have a lot of takes. I'm bursting over. Overflowing with takes. We have a guest calling in at about 4.15. We have a hockey guy coming on. That's right. A hockey guy. So we're having him on, Jeremy Peringo of GuyBostonSports.com. Friend of our good friend, Kenny Doyle. He'll be going to talk hockey with us and analyze the Bruins. But before that, plenty else to get to. And if you want to chime in on any of these topics, do not be afraid to call in at 401-456-8787. Once again, the number is 401-456-8787. You are listening to the Stadium Experience with Jake Helmsley. And with all that out of the way, we are going to dive right in here. And hello, Jordan. Hello, hello, hello. Are you are you excited to be back? Yes. It's been a, a lot. A lot has changed in the last. Yes, I know. I haven't seen you. It's been yeah. it's been hard. Yeah. I don't see you when you don't do the show. So exactly. Have Have you been up to anything exciting or? Uh, I just brought an external hard drive from a PS4. Ooh. So I can now have all my games at once. And how How do you hook that up to the PS4? Uh, it's literally you plug it into the USB slot and you format it to be uh, extended memory or storage, whatever they call it, and you just uh, download your games to that. So every time you want like a new file on something, you don't have to go like delete like a game you haven't played in a couple of months. Wow. Nope. Wow. And then and if you want to re-download the game, you don't have to wait like two, three days. Yep. Because because you'll have it already downloaded. Updates are a different thing though. Yeah, no, but that's that. Yeah. Wow, look at you go. Wow, you're yeah. doing. Doing big things. Because every game on a PS4 is, is like 80 plus gigabytes now. Yeah. So. Don't don't get much use out of that <laughs> that 500 gigs. You really don't. It, it just Yeah, goes. my PS4 I bought in 2014, I want to say. But hey, that thing's been chugging along for a while. This is a PlayStation show, by the way. We are. Yep. I don't know if you ever really made that clear on air, but we are, we are very much PlayStation show here on the stadium experience. But also, we're a sports show. Mm-hmm. Which I know we forget sometimes, but a lot of sports have been going on, and it's always hard kind of doing these these re-entry shows, because it's hard to know what I... Because there are some things that I just get super opinionated about. Some things. Not, not many things. Mm. But occasionally I get opinionated. Occasionally. Occasionally. And there are things I'll just get really passionate about in, like, the middle of, in like the middle of a break that I'll then forget and then remember again weeks later, but... I want to get the hockey early, but we're still waiting. We gotta wait till eleven fifteen, again, for our guest to come in. So I did want to touch on a little bit, which I know may come as a surprise to people, but I I want to complain about the Celtics a little more <laughs> because I know that this is a little in the past. Yeah, mm-hmm. the Bucks Raptors series ended you know three days ago. It's not. I don't think it's in our usual range for the weekly show, but. Jordan. Yes. That series 
At least at, at the way it ended after the Bucks kind of just collapsed. Which they did. They were up 2-0 and then they just they collapsed. You know, everybody have, they wrote off the old uh, the old rap they wrote the Raptors off a little too quickly, myself included. Yeah. Especially with those games when you look at them again, the second glance, those games were not were very close most of the time. I believe there was, there was an OT in there, I believe. Double OT. Exactly. So like those games you know, I think that was game three or four. Oh, excuse me, I thought when the first two games it was an overtime win. Either way. The Bucks and the Raptors, that series was frustrating to watch as a Celtics fan. Because obviously everything is frustrating as a Celtics fan right now, right down to roster construction, down to the words people are saying, down to the way the season ended, down to who the season ended, which everything's frustrating. But watching that series, after the way Giannis Antetokounmpo emasculated the Celtics, I think it's a good word to describe it, Jordan. Yeah. He emasculated them. He ran up the middle, and they couldn't do nothing about it. Again and again. Watching this Raptors, and once again, this was always going to be a frustrating thing to watch because the Celtics have more talent than both these teams. Uh, they don't have Kawhi. They have more ta- The Celtics have more talent. <laughs> both these teams... Kawhi or Giannis both head-to-head. Well, not anymore. Kawhi and Giannis were head-to-head for best player in the East. Like, Kyrie isn't the best player in the East. He's not in that conversation. He's in that conversation, but he's not. He's not a favorite in that conversation. Okay. (laughs) He's in, like, the top five players in the East. All right. Like, you got to bring Kawhi, I guess, Kyrie up. But it was Kawhi or Giannis going into this. But still, like, the Celtics are the more talented. They're still the most talented team in the East. I will not back off of that because backing off of that is giving them an excuse. Okay. Backing off of that, no, they do not get any excuses for the way this season went. All right, that's fair. There are excuses to be made, but they don't get them. They're not right. But the watching this series was frustrating for that reason, but then just watching the way this Raptors team exposed Giannis Really, really exposed Giannis and kind of, I think, for made all of us or should make everybody kind of pump the brakes on the way we talk about this player and the way we talk about Giannis, who will probably be the MVP of the league, probably should be the MVP of the league. Probably. I don't, he, he, he will be the MVP of the league. And there's a problem with that. I'm not saying he shouldn't, but then the reverse on that. You know, it exposed that Giannis is not necessarily up there as one of the truly, truly, truly elite championship caliber players in the NBA yet. Okay. Which he will get there. Yes. He is only 24 years old. Mm -hmm. He will get there as long as he keeps adding to his game. Or he won't. Or he'll just never improve and he'll say his player will still be a great dominant player who has very exposable flaws. And once again, you saw that happen in this series. Until he gets an outside shot, if you just clog the lane adequately like the Raptors did, which for some reason the Celtics couldn't or the Celtics didn't think to do, if you just clog that lane, you don't follow him out to mid-range like the Celtics were having Horford do or having Baines do or having Morris do where they were respecting his jumper way too much and that was opening things up for him down low and they just refused to adjust 
and they just kept letting him do the same thing over and over. If you play Giannis a certain way, you can you can't neutralize him because you can never neutralize a player of that caliber in the NBA. You never can. You can never neutralize LeBron. You can never neutralize Durant. You can never neutralize Giannis. Even if there are ways to slow these guys down, these guys will always have an impact. Guys of this caliber. They will always get theirs, but you can slow them down. And they did that. And listen, like a guy like Giannis, that's a way to defend Giannis at the moment. You claw game. You don't let him get down low. You don't let him drive on you. You don't let him get up. Which he will still, once again, he will get his. He will have sequences where he just gets by your guy. And it will happen because, he's once again, he's a freak. He's bigger and stronger than almost everybody. But if you commit to defending him a certain way, it'll work. And then you'll have nights where he just kind of does shoot well. And he just kind of does get a jumper. He does start making threes. And you just kind of accept it. because, And you probably lose. But it's not going to happen four out of seven times. And watching the Raptors, it's not like I was saying this. So once again, I, I, I was caught up in the kind of the mystique of Giannis as well. Like all of us were. I was ready to kind of anoint this guy the best player in the East or the next champ. You know, the next, I don't know what the word, I want to say the next LeBron. But, you know, once again, like I think everybody needs to pump their brakes on this player. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. He doesn't suck. He's still a top 10 player in the NBA. Probably a top five player, but I... I but looking at it now, the discrepancy between him and just note to note to Kawhi. You saw the difference. But Kawhi is that man. I no, that's what I'm saying. Like you saw. <laughs> but before this, I would have said that those two guys were comparable. Like those were both like, you know, like those are guys you can build a championship team around. And I like I just look at it now and I'm like, no, like Kawhi is Giannis is not there yet. At least like if the bar is Kawhi or I don't Durant or like maybe I don't want to say LeBron because he wasn't there this year, but what LeBron's been, it's like, once again, maybe not LeBron in there anymore, but I, I, don't, I don't know what you want to say about LeBron, but like LeBron of last year, maybe like that's like tier one in Giannis is like tier one and a half at the moment or tier two. You know, it's just, you see, just Kawhi, who is just such a complete player and absolutely does not is so ready for the big moment. And he has been his whole... I mean, you have a finals MVP there. You know, Gian, like, you know what? I, I don't even think... I think a part of it was... I don't know what, what it was exactly. Maybe it was just in Giannis's head. Giannis was in head because it was his first time. Drake got to him. Being in the play. But no, like you saw... You know, I don't want to say it was just the Raptors, the way they defended him, which was the way to do it. You know what? That's not... Kind of seems like watching these games, Giannis kind of... It, it was Drake. <laughs> Drake sent him a text. Psyched him out. Possibly, no, it seemed like Giannis kind of shrunk in the moment. He did. And a lot of these other players on this Raptors team did too. Middleton didn't have much of an impact. Lopez actually played pretty well. But in the end, like, it comes to, you know, if you're going to be that guy that we want, that Giannis, if you're going to be that MVP caliber guy, guess what? When you lose a series and you didn't do that well, people do not look at Chris Middleton. They look at you. And that's just how it works. And, yeah, it kind of feels like he shrunk at the moment, which, once again, is not me Jumping on Giannis, it's just us kind of taking a step back and being like, oh, yeah, this guy is still 24. This guy is still a flawed player. Like, okay, maybe, you know, he should probably be the MVP because it's a regular season award. And what he did for that team in the regular season. But, you know, maybe we just got to kind of 
pump the brakes a little bit on Giannis. He, I mean, he still has plenty to prove. As does Kawhi, by the way. But, you know, Kawhi at least has won a championship. You know, Kawhi, once again, Kawhi in this series was, he reminded me why Kawhi was my favorite player in the NBA two, three years ago. Like, it reminded me, like, I'm back on the Kawhi train. Just, just like a more complete player, and he just was ready for the moment. He was all playoffs. He's been hitting big shots. He's been just unconscious when it matters, and it's just, you know what, like, you know, he's just, it's, it's clear cut above, and now we can go F off to the Clippers, and Giannis can be the indisputable best player in the East, but either way, it's, that's where we are, and, which once again, maddening as a Celtics fan to watch, because once again, the Celtics made Giannis look like an unstoppable force. I mean, the problem, the problem with this logic is even if they go to the finals and they play the Raptors, it's, it's, it's quite going to eat that team alive. We see no, but like with the, with the way they played in the regular season, the way that the Bucks looked in the first rounds, no. It was in the way it looked in the first two games, no. Like, I'm sorry, like going in, it was, you could argue that Giannis was, is, was the best player in the East. You could make that argument. People were making that argument. He's going to win the MVP. People are making that argument. It, but it's just, you know, when it got to, once again, it's just it's his first time going this deep in the playoffs. Or his first time in the playoffs. Yeah, actually. Pretty, yeah, no, pretty. they were in the playoffs last year. What am I talking about? They played the Celtics last year. But his first time going deep in the playoffs. So, yeah, like, of course that's going to impact a 24-year-old. You'd think. Or it's not. Or you can have, you know, Kyrie Irving being the finals MVP and then getting robbed of the finals MVP. But it's whatever. But. So my weird Kyrie Stan moment, but you, it's just, it, it's just, it's hard because the Celtics made this Bucks team look better than it was. Is my point. This like this was a much more beatable team than which was obvious. Like it's not like they. But, but Jake, every, everything about the angle that the Celtics are are just trash. If you look at it that way. No, it is the Celtics, but I'm saying like the Celtics don't have an excuse to be trash because they have more talent than both these teams. You keep saying that, but they apparently, apparently they don't. They have more talent. They have more talent. It, it just didn't, it just didn't, just didn't work, just because they were all dicks and or like Brad Stevens couldn't like give them defined roles and just the whole uh -huh. thing was just a mess. So no, like it's just it's hard to watch and like you know what you know what made it hurt even more. I saw a tweet. I saw a tweet the other day that like it just it it was. It made complete sense. It just said, like, you know what? Why don't you just, why don't the Celtics, why didn't the Celtics just defend Giannis like Ben Simmons? Like, note for note, the exact way you defend Ben Simmons. Because you don't defend Ben Simmons outside of, like, 10 feet from the hoop. You just don't. And Giannis will hit more shots from those areas, obviously, because he's, a better player. He's just a better player, and he'll get more. I'm going to get his. I'm not saying that he's equal to Ben Simmons. He's not, but just defend him that way. It's just hard because I, I don't know what the Celtics were doing. Being trash. Yes, exactly. That's just the moral of the story. Yes, they were playing radically down from their talent, and that's a shame because a finals appearance was very much in the cards and. 
They could have beaten this Raptors team. They have more talented than this Raptors team. They were. They have the best player is better by a long shot. But the Celtics had more talent. If Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum were what they were last year in the playoffs, if Kyrie just tried, if, you know, Hayward got out of his own head because I don't buy that he's still hurt, if he just wasn't trash for no reason at this point. Like, like he broke his ankle two years ago. Like, it's done. If Terry Rozier could just be quiet. All the things, and they just, just everybody played together, blah, blah, blah. I've talked about it a billion times. And it's even more frustrating because, I don't know, like you, you, the, the Raptors are going to be getting a Warriors team that looks like they're going to be without Durant for a little while. And the Celtics have played the Warriors well the last few years whenever they played them like the Celtics have consistently had success against the China. I'm not saying they would beat the Warriors if they didn't have Korant I'm not saying they are a better more talented team if everything breaks broke right as it should have as we were all excited for it but I it just it just keeps feeling like more and more of a blown opportunity the longer we go and that's what's annoying that's what's annoying or you can look at it my, from my angle. Celtics been trash all year, and they went to the playoffs, swept yeah. the Pacers, and then they were trash. Yes, but they shouldn't have been trash. They had every reason in the world not to be trash. And it's all internal bullcrap. And that just sucks as a fan. That just sucks. It sucks to see a team. That is the most frustrating thing in the world, to see a team play underachieve. That is the hardest thing in the world as a fan. That is how Steelers fans must feel all the time, honestly. Well, no, because they're they destined they're destined for misery. No. Like the Celtics were the freaking Steelers this year. Really, they were. I just thought of that. I think that's a good comp. Mm. The Celtics were very similar to the Steelers of years past. Where that's I came in when they had A B, when they had Le'Veon. That team just consistently underachieving. Might be the apathy. Yeah. That explains it. Just that they like the Steelers. They mm. underachieved. And it sucks. And it just keeps you. I keep hoping maybe it'll get better. Like maybe just like the Raptors would just look like an unbeatable buzzsaw. And it's like, oh, never mind. The Celtics couldn't have gotten past that team, but they didn't. They were exposed early in the early going. Like they like these two teams were beatable. And the Warriors are just gonna not say like I probably couldn't beat them anyway, but I don't know. Like you take game one. Because they don't have Durant, because you play this team well, and now suddenly you have home field. And it's at least like, you can at least give them this. Because that was my line for this Celtics team before the season started. I said that a million times. That my bar for this team was make the finals and make it a series. I said that anything shy of that would be underachieving, and I don't feel any different. And I have no reason to feel any different. I have been given no reason to not think that. To not think that this team could have done that. If they did everything they should have done. So, yeah, I just really wanted to get that off my chest. Mm-hmm. Just kind of like smatter in my Giannis takes and my Kawhi gushing because my God is Kawhi. He's just so good at everything. Yeah, Kawhi's a grown-ass man. He's just a complete <laughs> player on both ends. Like, like he just he just, he shoots, he defends, he, he hustles. 
like he's even got the hustle plays like none of the other stars get those sort of hustle plays the guy just gets his own boards like yeah got, you got to respect his shot but then he crashes in and gets the re like he's freaking marcus smart but he's actually good at stuff yep besides hustling like it just oh my god gets those steals like he has four hands yeah Shout, shout to the Raptors front office for that trade. You know, like I said at the time, like, <laughs> that is a risk. I love the risk, and it's paid off. Like, even if he leaves, I still feel like it paid off. Yeah. Like, you probably weren't getting to the finals with DeMar. Nope. So, you know, and if, it, if he leaves after this, like, it sucks. But it pay, you at least got to the finals, like, for the first time as a team. Like, I know that's not, but at least for this Raptors team that's choked every year, like, yeah, you gotta get the only thing that would have made it better is if they could have got past LeBron, I guess. Like they don't get kind of that vindication. But I'm sure Raptors. I'm sure Raptors fans are plenty happy, like <laughs> to be in the finals, and they're gonna lose. But at least it's somebody different. Yeah, you know, at least it's you know Kyle Lowry really didn't feel like he showed up in the last couple games of this series. You know, Mark Gasol did. That was a nice trade. Like they took they took the gamble. Like I will. I will give them that. I, I liked that trade at the time. I thought that was an... I just liked kind of seeing a team be aggressive, honestly. Like, I kind of just liked seeing teams just, like, not kind of roll over with the Warriors and wait for the Warriors to kind of go away, which I think would, it would be a legitimate front office strategy. But I liked that. I liked seeing them be aggressive, you know, move on. But, yeah, like, kudos to the Raptors. Celtics still should have been able to beat them, but... They didn't. And like I said, Kawhi, I don't know. I mean, may maybe he stays now. I, I don't know. I, I don't know what Kawhi's priorities are. You know, like. You got to have Drake call him. I mean, you know, the Clippers are a very appealing destination. I see why people want to go play there. Like, I get it. It's like it's like it's like being in LA, but not on the Lakers. No, exactly. But like you, which is exactly what you no, want. No, you're in LA, but you're also on an LA team with a lot of cap space, a really good coach, and they've developed some really good young talent to complement you. And they can make the cap space to bring somebody else to play with you. I think, I believe so. I mean, every team, uh, th th there's a lot going for them in, in LA. So it's not even like, like he's probably going to a worse team. But I don't know. Like get out there before Kyle Lowry starts to decline. I don't know. But. It's not even like it would be a astronomically, it would be a huge downgrade in terms of, but anyway, I don't want to get too into like the Clippers, even though Doc's doing good things down there, but yeah, I just, I, oh, it's, yeah, it's tough to watch us all as a Celtics fan. Anyway, though, we're, gonna, we're done with the doom and gloom here on a rainy afternoon. We're going to, we are going to take a quick break here. When we come back, we will be talking with Jeremy Perigo. Of Guy Boston Sports. We're going to be talking about a Boston sports team that is, get this, Jordan, overachieving. Mm. We can get into that. But we don't know how the Red Sox are going to play. Here, on a I rainy Wednesday afternoon, you are listening to the Stadium Experience with Jake Elmsley on 90.7 WXIN, and we will see you in just a flash. Hey, parents, finding it hard to communicate with kids in today's world of ever-changing slang? Hi, son. Excuse me? Introducing the Communicizer. Just strap non-toxic Communicizer to your mouth and go from boring old man speak. Oh, you know, I'm here if you want to talk. To 100% off the chain. Text me whenever, yo. It's that easy. Thanks to Communicizer, I'm relevant to my kids again. I mean, 
A fly, boo. And now when you buy Communicizer, you get the auto-tune attachment free. Sounds so hip-hop, your kids will want to talk to you for hours. I used to have to walk three miles uphill to school every morning short day. I love you, Dad. I love you too, son. Communicizer is not available in stores because it doesn't exist. But that's okay. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Because kids in foster care don't need perfection. They need you. For more information on how you can adopt, go to adoptuskids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Adopt Us Kids and the Ad Council. Plant a tree for your tomorrow. Do you know which tree Andy Jackson rested under on his way to the Battle of New Orleans? Which tree Abraham Lincoln used to cross a river? And what tree William Penn used as a landmark for his map? Taste the breeze, it's life inside you. Make a promise to the earth. There's an easy way to find out. Go to the National Arbor Day Foundation's website, arborday.org, for whatever you need to know about trees. At arborday.org, you'll find out what trees are right for planting where you live and that the oak is the people's choice for America's national tree. It was a Sunnybrook oak which Andy Jackson rested under on his way to the Battle of New Orleans. You'll have to go to arborday.org for the other answers. Plant a tree today for all the world to share. That's arborday.org. For the best local pizza, look no further than Big Tony's Pizzeria at 525 Eaton Street, Providence, featuring daily specials and free delivery until 4 a.m. Get a whole pie or just a slice at the home of the gangster rap. So call in at 401-490-0000 for a slice of the local favorite, Big Tony's. Often imitated, never duplicated. Lasco Smoke Shop is Providence's premier smoke shop and vapor lounge, conveniently located at 1842 Smith Street, North Providence. Glasgow Smoke Shop, the best smoking supplies in all of our eyes. Some statistics are surprising, some are unbelievable, and some are simply unacceptable. Right now, nearly 30% of U.S. students aren't finishing high school. Nearly 30%. And that's the average. In many places, it's even higher than that. And fixing it is a responsibility that we all share. This is President Obama, and I urge everyone, not just parents, but friends and neighbors and family members, to take responsibility for encouraging the high school students in your communities, to support them, challenge them, push them a little, and do whatever it takes to help them make it through. Because this is one statistic we simply can't afford to ignore. You can do your part by going to boostup.org and sending an email, a text message, or even a wake-up call to a student at risk of dropping out. Go to boostup.org and provide the boost that's needed to make it to graduation. A message from the U.S. Army and the Ad Council. It's not the size that matters, it's the pleasure it provides. WXIN-FM.
90.7 WXIN Stadium Experience. Jake Helmsley, Jordan Moment here alongside me. And Jordan, I got to tell you, we were talking Celtics up to this point. Well, kind of more general NBA stuff. I got to say, I've been sitting on those takes for like a week, and I feel so much better. Like, I physically feel relieved now to finally, like, because, like, the problem is when I'm not doing the show, when we're, like, you know, off and I'm not doing the show and I haven't had, like, a chance to kind of, like, get out my opinion. I literally, like, I, well, I talk to myself a lot already, but it only gets worse. Because I haven't gotten any release on those takes, any release on those thoughts, segments, etc., etc. So I'm just, just pent up, really. Which, yeah. So that's nice. Anyway, though. <laughs> I'll, we'll kind of move on now. We're gonna, once again, we're gonna move in to Celtic Bruins. I tried to move everything up because I want to do Bruins early because I didn't want to get into my NBA bag too much and then not focus on the the much more relevant thing. But anyway, now in here, first time guest on the show to talk some Bruins with us, Jeremy Perigo. Is it Perigo? It's P- Perigo, but you know I get that a lot, so it's fine. Jeremy Perigo of GuyBostonSports.com, host of the Puck That podcast. And how are you today, Jeremy? Good. How are you? Good. Thank you for coming on. Like I said, I kind of just messaged Kenny real last minute. I was like, I need a hockey guy, Kenny. Do you know any hockey guys? Because I don't. Yeah, uh, he's, I'm usually his go-to, so that's, that's how it works around here. Yeah, no, Jordan, it seems like everybody we have on this show as a regular just always has that giant gaping puck-sized hole in their sports lexicon you especially yeah I, hockey quite confuses me e love myself i'm not exactly the biggest hockey guy even down to like the Murphquake, like job kenny joe was the only one and joe has forsaken us because he wants money at dave's i guess makes good money at dave's Man, what a dick but anyway <laughs> sorry of jeremy with us and obviously it's kind of annoying trying to talk about the series after the first game. Because I would have liked to have kind of gotten in and like put down my predictions on the table early. Because obviously it kind of cheapens it to do it a little bit now. But I'm going to still try to. And just hopefully people have faith in me. But going into this series, I thought going into this first game... Well, obviously, it's hot take here. First games are important. But especially for this Bruins team, coming off of the sort of layoff that they came off of, which was, what, an 11-day layoff? 10-11? Yeah, 11, I believe. Losing this game, I think, would not have been the end of the world. I don't think losing this game would have put in the favor of the Blues. I think the Bruins are heavy favorites in this series coming in just on every level. But coming in, I think that winning this first game was very important for them. And especially just to be able to come in and get it and not, you know, if they come in and they lose this game and they look rusty, you just... You run the risk of just this team has so much confidence right now. And rightfully they should. I mean, rattling off, what, eight straight wins? Like, this team has so much confidence. And Tuca, especially, and the whole team. And just to see them able to come in and kind of shake that off early and not have to now be playing from behind and coming out one oh, I mean, that's huge. So I'm, kind of, I'm trying to, like, wrap my head around the whole series. I'm trying to figure out how to talk about this game right now. But a lot went well for the Bruins in this game. And... Even the things that didn't go well, the slow start, the lack of production from the top line for a lot of the game, the way that they were able to handle everything, I think is was really impressive and everything was just, yet again, as really everything's been this whole playoffs, 
a really good sign for this team's chances to just I mean take this series I just I mean I guess do you feel the same way like how big was taking this game given the circumstance of everything um yeah I mean I think people made a lot of that 11 day layoff or whatever uh St. Louis also hadn't played since I believe it was last Tuesday or something like mm-hmm. that so I mean both team had both teams had a pretty significant layoff um you know and kind of going to the series it's been more or less the storyline that uh, you know the Bruins are the experienced team. I think St. Louis has maybe one player that's ever been there before. Uh, you know, a rookie goaltender, although he is 25 uh, in net for them, and Jordan Biddington. Jordan Biddington. Um, so, and you like to think, obviously, Daniel Chara, Patrice Bergeron, those veteran players have been there since you know been before 2011, but were there when they won the Stanley Cup. So uh, they've done some really strong prep for the series. Uh, they, I still think they were the better team for the majority of that game. Mm-hmm. Yes, they went down 2-0 early. But, um, you know, obviously they righted the ship. I was honestly, and I'm, I'm dead serious about this, even down 2-0 early in the second. It was never really a worry for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe that's, you know, just knowing this team, watching them a lot. But at the same time, you know, they, were, they struggle more against the fast teams, and St. Louis isn't that. They're a heavy team, but uh, this is a much more favorable matchup than, say, uh, Toronto was for them in the first round, for sure. No, I agree with that part, absolutely. Just like... Even just from a matchup perspective, the Bruins have such a clear advantage over these. You know, and I don't know like if this is a fair comp, but at least to me, this Blues team is very similar, at least in style, to the Blue Jackets, who you knew were going to... Like, the games for the Bruins were going to be tough, and they weren't going to look pretty a lot of the time. But even in that series, I never felt like the Blue Jackets had any real advantage over the Bruins, even when they were tight games, if that makes sense. Like, and am I, you know, am I right to say that? Like, are these, were, are these at least the closest comps to one another? Um, yeah, I would say as far as the opponents the Bruins have played this postseason, those two are most similar. Um, Columbus's goaltending, Sergei Bobrovsky, uh, I mean, again, we're only one game into this series, but uh, Sergei Bobrovsky was a huge reason why the Blue Jackets were able to take at least, you know, two wins out of that series. Mm-hmm. They were up two to one. Um, they could, you know, the Bruins win in overtime in game one. Uh, Blue Jackets win overtime game two, then they take the uh, first game in their own building, and they're up two to one. So it was very close. You know, Bruins lose that first overtime. They're down three nothing. It's it's not. You know, I think Columbus had a lot more energy too, just coming off of mm-hmm. you know sweeping the Tampa Bay Lightning in the first round. So um, yes, they're very comparable, but I think Columbus had a bit more physicality. Mm-hmm. The Blues played a hard game, but I didn't see the hard hitting like the Blue Jackets really wanted to throw the body around. I think it's because they knew they were playing the Bruins and not that the Blues didn't, but um, I mean, the Blue Jackets got a little more away from their style of game, but definitely um, those two are the most comparable uh, as far as Toronto's a speed team and they much different than that, that sort of thing. No, that's what's given the Bruins trouble. And like I said, I think that this, you know, this was, this is a far, far, at least to me, this is a far more favorable matchup from the Bruins, even than even than playing the Sharks who aren't necessarily, by and far a more talented team than the Blues, but from a t- style perspective, with a team that does have recent experience at this level, I mean, once again, the Bruins are stave. Really, they've lucked out at every point in the playoffs so far this year, which is not take anything away from them. But, I mean, I, at least for me, I feel like you can't deny the fact that the Bruins have just they've gotten, just they have been, they have gotten the luck of the draw and with every matchup. I think everything has broken how the Bruins would have wanted it to happen in a lot of unlikely ways. Like, have the Bruins even, I mean, I don't even think the Bruins think about it. 
outside of the first round. I don't think they've played one team that going into their previous series was a favorite. I think they've played underdogs every series, which is, I guess, sort of the nature of the things in the in the NHL playoffs, at least more so than in others than in other sports. But still, I mean, the Bruins they have like, they've gotten really lucky with a lot of their matchups here so far. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, the Bruins finished what third in the league this year, so uh, there were very few teams that were going to be. You know that would make them the underdog coming into it. Right. Well, no, I'm uh, saying like every Tampa. team that they played so far, like going to the series prior, oh, into was... the series that they played, right? Yeah, right. That too, as well. I agree. And obviously, starting against Toronto, they were the favorite in the first round as well. Uh, so I guess for Toronto's first matchup, the technically see, the underdog. But you see, honestly, Toronto—that was the team I was the most worried about out of all these yeah, teams. Absolutely. If you had sat there yeah. and told me like who were the biggest threats to the Bruins, it would have been oh, to Tampa Bay and Toronto. Those are the two biggest threats, and then. That fact might end up being their hardest series, depending on how this one goes here. But with, with Tampa out of the way, um, I think it made it. You know, I think most Bruins fans, certainly from my perspective, it was hard to see uh, them making it to the Stanley Cup final with Tampa Bay uh, looming, especially considering the way they uh, matched up against the Lightning last season, which was not not very good. Mm-hmm. Um, so once Tampa fell to Columbus early on. I think a lot of teams saw it as an opening to the Stanley Cup final, especially if you were in the East. Um, but making it past Toronto and then Tampa being out of the way already, uh, you know, as, as good as Columbus played to obviously sweep them in four games, and that's unprecedented in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, you just knew the Bruins had the advantage in that series. And I thought, you know, Carolina was going to give them more than they did. And, they, you know, a couple of those games were turning point games too. Game one, they played well. And game three, they played really well. They hadn't lost a game on home ice until Boston beat them in, in Raleigh. But, um, you know, that series is going to be, be remembered as a sweep where Carolina didn't have much. It was probably closer, uh, definitely closer on paper than people are going to remember it. But, yeah, I mean, once they're past Toronto, it, I mean, St. Louis is probably the next closest, and I still don't think they're as good as the Maple Leafs. So. No, and I agree with that. And you look at this series, and I think in this game specifically, you kind of get into the specifics of this game more. I mean, who do you give them? Like, who is your, I guess, if you have to do, I don't know, you MVP of this game for the Bruins overall. I mean, who do you give it to? Because I have mine, and I want—I guess I want to hear yours first. On uh, game one, yes. Um, so I, I've, a lot of people were saying Marcus Johansson played really well. Um, I'm trying to think. Con- Connor Clifton was there too. And they ended up giving it, I believe. Oh, I can't remember. It was neither of them that was number one. I can't remember who they even gave it to at this rate. Oh, Sean Crowley, I think. And um, I don't know. I think I liked, I'd like to see Clifton mainly because, you know, no one really knows who he is, especially if you're a St. Louis Blues fan. Where's the man I found out? Yeah, so, I mean, he literally just jumped on to the scene, mainly because Kevin Miller's been injured and is not going to be back no matter what happens in, this, in the final and hasn't played for them much at all uh, recently. And uh, I think it's only because of the fact – and the goal he scored was, like, literally off his skate into the net, so mm-hmm. not a ton of skill involved. But, I mean, he found himself – he was in the crease, you know, as a defenseman. He's been making a lot of uh, rushes up the ice, getting involved offensively. It wasn't his first goal of the postseason. He's been in this position before. So uh, as far as kind of like when you think back on these Stanley Cup teams and how they end up winning, it's always there's always one storyline like that in there, a player that comes out of nowhere that no one expects and does something that's important and helps the team win. And for me, I mean, that game could just – I mean, I was talking with the people around when I was watching that game, and they – Easily could have thought it could have gone to Clifton. It makes sense why the other two uh, were higher above him. I believe he was the third star. But uh, yeah, I probably would have. I thought it would have Clifton just because of the, maybe because of who he is and where he came from. Mm-hmm. So for me, 
and I might be cheating a little bit because I didn't necessarily make it clear this was open. For me, I think the MVP of this game for the Bruins was Bruce Cassidy. Like, just looking <laughs> at him and looking at what... But no, I'm just here. Like, looking at... And you had a lot of guys who were like, Corrali was excellent. Johansson was excellent. Even, you know, Clifton, excellent players. A lot of understated guys. But I think that... I just think you really need to credit him for the willingness he had kind of at the midway through this game to not necessarily pull, but de-emphasize the top line because you saw it come out in Marchand and Bergeron and all of them. They were they didn't in Postnerick, like they didn't they didn't come out hot. Like they did come out, and I know you said you didn't really you never really felt uncomfortable even when the blues went up, but those guys really they were not it, it didn't. It wasn't working. Like the way they were playing, it seemed like they were, seemed like they were they were passing too much. They weren't going for the goal, and him having the willingness to give more shifts to once again like these guys we've been talking about, which he hasn't necessarily been as willing to do at other points in the playoffs. I mean, you remember the first round with Pasternak? For a lot of it, was just just putrid for a lot of the time, and he just kept sending him out and sending him out. He was less willing to do it then, and maybe. I'm going to talk about what his reason was, but it seemed like in this game, he was very, very willing to, and he made those, he was very willing to use these other guys, and he made those changes, and they just, they really worked, everything really worked out, and I feel like you just, you have to give the coach credit for that, for making what isn't, you know, when a coach makes kind of a difficult or makes a controversial decision at such a high level in a championship, I just feel like that is, you need to laud that, I think Cassie, I think Cassie had an excellent game. Yeah, I, I, you know, credit to him as well, um, and also credit to Don Sweeney for um, adding guys like Marcus Johansson and, and Charlie Coyle yes, uh, towards the end of the trade deadline because they've been incredibly important parts of this team. Charlie Coyle, especially early on in Toronto, uh, against Toronto. Marcus Johansson, like I said, had a great night last night. Has continued to kind of. Oh, since he's gotten uh, healthy, you know, Johansson's been a revelation. Like, yeah, definitely. And, you know, you sprinkle, you sprinkle those performances in between Johansson and Coyle. And, um, Bruce Cassidy has been tinkering with the lineups pretty much since day one, game one of the 82-game uh, schedule. So um, it's something he's very comfortable with doing. He knows he's got a depth roster, which allows him to, okay, maybe the first line, Bergeron, Marshall, and Pasternak is getting targeted a little bit more, which is expected, you know, if you're the Blues mm-hmm. scouting this team. You want to be able to, especially considering they caught fire a bit in the Carolina series after you mentioned yeah. uh, Pasternak struggled at the end of Toronto and into Columbus a bit. Uh, finally started to find his mojo, and it really kind of took off when they were in Carolina, that line particularly, um, that you know if you're the Blues and that's the most recent series you're watching, you're like, okay, well, Pasternak might have been struggling during the start of the postseason, but it looks like he's someone we definitely need to be paying attention to right now outside of the fact that they are the Bruins' best line. So when that happens and you have that depth scoring, and like I said, you know, Sean Crowley, uh, Connor Clifton, Charlie McAvoy, you know, is one of their star players, but defenseman nonetheless. Um, scoring these goals, you're not seeing Bergeron Marchand. I mean, Marchand did, I believe, have the empty netter, but you're not seeing them score those pivotal goals. It's like, again, Stanley Cup hockey, uh, you got to have a depth team to win. It almost never happens that a team that has one or two star players, or just, excuse me, at least one or two star, star players that's carrying the team. You can have your Sidney Crosby or your Ovechkin, but normally it's an entire team effort that gets them there. Uh, without that, it's very hard to win the Cup, and you're seeing that right now with the Boston Bruins. Well, listen, I look at it in the way I kind of look at it, even it's it like even to me it, it really like the lack of performance on those guys early on i don't even think that had as much to do with the way the blues were play, were playing them it like, like i said it didn't feel like the blues were being all that physical it didn't seem like they were ding these guys up exceptionally i just felt like the way they just they just looked kind of off kilter 
they were kind of falling back into the trap that they had earlier in the playoffs. There were just too many passes, trying to almost be too fancy with it. Felt like those guys, they, they weren't on. And then, I mean, Marshan kind of feel like he kind of just kind of kicked it back in later on in the game. Felt like even not like the empty netter excluded, just he felt like he kind of, kind of like got back into his groove later in the game. But I just, once again, just I... It's it's not easy to go away from what some people think is the best line in hockey in game one of the Stanley Cup finals. And just that is that, you know, I just feel like you, you can't understate that. You just you can't. But to see the depth on this team, a team that earlier in the year, the biggest concern was the over-reliance on the top line because they didn't have or they weren't getting a lot of secondary scoring. A lot of guys like the Ryan Donatos of the world that they thought were going to kind of come on and have an impact feels like like throughout the playoffs this team has just completely flipped the script from a team that was relying almost ex not exclusively but very heavily on its top line to a team that's been winning based on depth scoring and goalkeeping yeah and I mean don't get me wrong the first line has their off games Pasternak particularly is not someone who loves body contact mm -hmm. I don't know if it's something about the checks because David Krejci is the same way but um, and Marchand, you know, generally has enough speed and, you know, he's very good and tight to get himself out of those situations. Bergeron, probably out of the three of them, is most used to that sort of play. Um, he's also been around the longest when the league was a bit more heavy in that direction. Um, but that's, you know, that's obviously why you might have, well, it's part of the reason why you might have seen that, that level of performance. I think the Bruins play St. Louis's game better than St. Louis. Mm -hmm. uh, they, have, they have the star power, but they also have the heavy the heavy players as well that can get that kind of play, that kind of hockey. And I mean, you saw it even from Tori. He's going to be a highlight of this series, if, especially if it goes Boston's way uh, with the hit he laid on, I believe it was Robert Thomas coming all the way down the end. And that's got Twitter all up in a storm because St. Louis fans didn't like it, which I think is crazy, but that's another story. And so, um, so even, you know, when you're seeing small guys like Tori Krug bringing the body like that, and it kind of takes some of the pressure off that line, whether it's because they're being targeted because they're, you know, not having a great game and don't get me wrong. They can't, you know, that first line can't perform under uh, against heavier teams, but um, it's it's definitely um, kind of a relief to them to have that option where they know even if they have an off night or for some, for some reason something's not working between them, that they have second, third line, fourth line, specific, you know, even the fourth line this entire season and into the postseason has been incredible uh, that they have that depth where they can uh, they can rely on it as well. Yeah, and I guess I don't want to. I don't want to get too cocky. Obviously, after one win, but I'm trying to go off more of my thoughts from before the series because obviously it's easy to kind of characterize it as, oh, well, you think that way because it's you didn't think that before the series because I didn't really get to put my thoughts to tape before the series started. But it feels like the, the Bruins have this team so outgunned, and you saw in the shot difference was which was uh, what was something like it was 38 to 20. Like they almost doubled the shot. Like the Bruins just have so much more firepower. Then this Blues team, and this Blues team, they're not, they play that slower, methodical style of hockey, but even then, they don't seem like they, at least so far that they played that physically, that it would just, it would upset a team like the Bruins, so just, but that being said, I mean, if the Blues are to turn it around, I guess, how, how, you know, how do the Blues win this series, I guess, I guess, what, before we get into, kind of going back to the Bruins love trade, I mean, what is, you know, what do the Blues have to do? Like, what style? How do they have to play? Who has to perform for this team to possibly take win the Cup? Well, um, I was actually kind of surprised. I, I expected maybe a little more physicality. The Blues are a heavy team, but they're not super hard-hitting. They have those big bodies, uh, Patrick Maroon being the most notable. Uh, but they're not 
they're not going to run you into the glass necessarily. I mean, Robert Thomas was obviously getting mixed up with different players throughout the game, and he took that big hit from Kruger I mentioned a minute ago. But the physicality was not – I didn't see the same that I saw from Columbus, where Columbus was really throwing their body, and they were really trying to get in the Bruins' head in that way physically. It kind of backfired a little bit because the Bruins are a team that plays that game really well, and particularly backfired for Carolina because Carolina tried to throw the body a lot too when they had Michael Furland, who's you know, a, ta- a more talented heavy hitter. But when they did that, the Bruins just can kind of – they had the ability to weather the storm, and they rubbed it off. So it's more inherent to the Blues to the Blues' DNA than it is to Carolina's DNA, or even Columbus's for that matter. Um, so if they just continue to make it very difficult for the Bruins to break the puck out, their goaltending needs to be solid. Um, their defense, I, I didn't love – McAvoy's shot was nice, that goal that he scored. I didn't love that it went in on Biddington, and I didn't love that the defenseman kind of backed off and let him get that shot off in the first place. He kind that, of just walked into his own. I think, DeBrusque, so, uh, I think DeBrusque's one shot on goal was a far better shot. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, that sort of thing has to be tightened up if you're the Blues. And, you know, was it them kind of – they had that entire game to shake off whatever they need to shake off between the end of their series against San Jose and the start of this series. And Obviously, that's no excuse with the Bruins having a longer delay on the other side. So, I mean, it's, it's those sorts of things. Uh, Gene Schwartz has been huge. They had 12 goals coming into the series uh, in the postseason. That, that's on top of the total of 11 he had during the regular season. So, he didn't have a oh, great yeah. on top season, of that, On top of that, <laughs> that tight, that yeah. fat 11 regular season goals. Yeah, exactly. Well, he, that's the whole thing is that he's really shown up in his postseason. I believe he has two hat tricks. Um, he's been someone who's been really good despite his regular season performance. So, and, so, so, uh, so fraud... Because <laughs> I think the word you're looking for. Yeah, well, I mean, he's been, you know, in the past, I think he had a really off season. He's he's not a flashy player by any stretch. And Braden Shen actually, I think it was 13 games he'd gone without scoring before he scored last night, something like mm-hmm. that. And he's one of their top players. He's up there with, uh, with Schwartz. So um, it was interesting to see him score and not Schwartz. But those guys have to be producing their first line that can't afford to take it off if, if they want to win this series. I guess the other thing, the um, the other big thing was the Bruins. Obviously, huge discrepancy, really like un, very uncommon sort of discrepancy in the power plays. I believe the Bruins had five power plays to the Blues one, which it you you it is kind of almost surprising not to see any kind of makeup call. At least with the way really refs are everywhere, there's no sort of really even attempt to kind of balance it out. Even when the game was over, you'd think you'd see something like that, but you didn't. So, do you think that maybe going forward the refs might? I don't want to say be looking to make up the difference, but yeah, I mean, do you think they're going to be maybe looking to kind of get not not necessarily gift, but kind of give the Blues some fifty-fifty power plays just somewhere, just kind of get the seat, just kind of get the series total more even, so we can look at that and go, hey, why do the Bruins have so many power plays? Well, the refereeing has been very strange in this entire postseason, uh, not just for the Bruins but across the league in general, and you've seen. Uh, different tandems of referees basically be told they're not moving forward. Uh, Ooh, I like that canon of referee. Contra- yeah, well, it was controversial. In the first round against, I mean, the Vegas Golden Knights probably should have moved on against the San Jose Sharks in the first round. And then there were a couple other calls. I'm not going to get into that too much that allowed San Jose in different aspects of critical points in their series against not only the Vegas Golden Knights, but the Colorado Avalanche and even the Blues, even though they lost that series, uh, to get some advantages. Uh, again, in going into the offseason, you're probably going to see different things probably talked about with review to fix that. But um, I don't see them calling any kind of makeup, whatnot. I, I don't know how it changes from game to game. 
so much, and we obviously don't know what goes behind the scenes, what the league is talking to these refs about, uh, St. Louis fans and basically anyone who's not cheering for the Bruins or not in Boston, I should say specifically, because it kind of feels like the Patriots effect right now, where if you're not in the, if you're not a Boston fan, then you're a fan against them. So you're rooting for St. Louis. If that makes any sense. I tried to word those best I could. Um, but so if that, I mean, I, I think, like I said, that, that call that Tory Krug didn't, I don't think it was a charge at all. He skated all the way down the ice, but I guess letter of the law, the way it's written in the rule book, you could see it that way, but I've never seen a charge called the way on that hit he made. And clearly there was no call on that. It was just a clean hit. And that was the rest of how they deemed it. So um, does the league say something to them and, and they call it tighter? Maybe, honestly, that would take a lot of the fun out of it. Especially considering I don't think the ratings were great last night for that game. So I think the last thing you want to do is uh, do anything that's going to turn away at least the casual fans. So um, I don't know. We'll go, we'll see going forward. I don't really think the blues play uh, the Bruins, excuse me, played a very, I uh, played a game that was, you know, warranting a lot of penalties. Normally, if you're a team playing catch-up, kind of like the Blues were, like I said, even though they were, you know, leading early on in the game, it never really felt like they had control of the game. And they were kind of doing things that were, you know, taking stupid calls. I think they know they had to play up to the Bruins. And when you do that, you're trying to get a competitive edge wherever you can, and often that leads to penalties. So, I don't know. We'll see what happens in game two, but I don't necessarily see any changes coming from the officials. <laughs> Excuse me. I guess, do you see any kind of, do you see any reason for concern that the Bruins only were able to convert on one out of five power plays? Or do you, I mean, do you have any, like, do you see any, anything there to be worried about? Any- um, not particularly. Like, you, uh, we kind of, we've talked about the first line. Could have had a better game. Uh, it translates to the power play as well. Um, I don't, I don't necessarily see that as being an issue. They've had a really strong power play of the entire postseason. One game is, you know, blip on the radar. It's not a big deal. And they found a way. Uh, and they didn't score one, but they, you know, found a way to win three other goals, technically two other, with Bennington and Nett uh, win the game anyway. So as long as they're getting it done, it's not a huge problem. And, and I don't think that their power play, if the Blues keep deciding they want to take penalties, uh, will continue to be unproductive because uh, I have not been overly impressed with Bennington. And if they start um, figuring out their power play, then they're going to start scoring power play goals. All right, fair enough. I guess, I mean, otherwise, just kind of now that I'm done trying to kind of poke holes in the Bruins, I mean, realistically, do you, like, what, <laughs> like, where, like, where do you, like, where do you see this series go? Like, what was your prediction? Well, I guess, what was your prediction before the series? And just where, I mean, for me, now that we've had a one game sample size and kind of, I think at least had a lot of things, a lot of us thought, thought confirmed. I mean, how do you, like, what were your predictions pre-series and like, what, what do you, where do you see it going now? Well, I do have a podcast, as you mentioned. So I did kind of, I, I did make a formal prediction. Uh, I believe it was six games I said because I my co-host I believe said seven. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to just make it a little bit different. That we both obviously well, should say obviously, but it was kind of you know unfair of us to not choose the Bruins. Plus, I just think this isn't even a homer's perspective. I just think they are the better team, mm-hmm. and I you know I spend a lot of time watching them. I spend a lot of time watching a lot of hockey, and uh, they're definitely the better team in the series. It's theirs to lose. That's the way I look at it. Could I see it going six games? Yes. Uh, after last night, I honestly wasn't impressed with what I saw from St. Louis, but I haven't been terribly impressed. I mean, when they were down 2-1 to one in that series against San Jose off of that controversial call that I kind of referenced earlier where uh, it was a hand pass that should have been called and end up uh, leading to a San Jose overtime victory that I wasn't sure that they were going to be able to come back in that series. It just felt like a very deflating goal. And the locker room was kind of all over the place. Jordan Bennington has been very stoic the entire postseason, uh, was getting very riled up, rightly so, after that goal. And you know, credit to the coaching staff, Craig Grube, their head coach, uh, of kind of you know getting them back on message and ended up 
I don't think they lost the game after that. Yeah, because they won the game, they won the series in six. And so St. Louis has been down before. Um, again, again, it's only one nothing. So not to get too far ahead of ourselves here, but I could definitely see them taking a couple games, making at least a six game series. I would hate to see seven because uh, we'll just all lose years off our life for that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, it's, I don't see it as the end of the St. Louis Blues, but if the Bruins take two in Boston, they're going to really be on their heels heading back home. Yeah, no, six feels fair. Yeah, five feels too aggressive, but seven feels like I'm giving the Blues too much credit. But I do feel like they'll mm-hmm. let, they'll eke out a win somewhere. I mean, I don't think they're going to get swept. But no, I just, I, you're right. Like, it is firmly the Bruins season to lose, and I agree with that. Uh, Jordan, you have anything? Uh, No, empty net is nonsense. That's yeah, Jordan liked the empty net. Jordan learned about the empty net like a month ago, and he's just... He's just hung up on it. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense to me. What, what not to like? He just he just doesn't get why why it happens. It just it just baffles him. Yeah, well, generally, if you have an empty net, you're doing something wrong. But um, hopefully, for the Bruins, it never gets there. <laughs> yeah. All right. So perfect. Once again, this is Jeremy Perigo. 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 Jeremy Perigo of Guy Boston Sports.com. Listen to the Puck That podcast. Follow him at Jeremy P E R R. IGO on Twitter and Jeremy, it's been nice having you. Thanks for having me. All right, hopefully we can have you on again real soon. Honestly, with hockey, kind of sucks to be getting the hockey guy in the last hockey week of the year, but <laughs> the Stanley Cup. For sure, whenever you want to have me. <laughs> All right, we'll see you soon. Bye, Jeremy. All right, bye. Bye. All right, and that was Jeremy, another guy to add to the roller decks of guests, Jordan. Yep. You feel good about him? Yeah. All right, perfect. All right, we will take a quick break here. When we come back, we're going to kind of pivot back to some NBA stuff. Had some Patriots stuff I want to talk about, and we will get into all of that. You are listening to the Stadium Experience with Jake Elmsley on 90.7 WXIN, and we will be right back in just a minute. In the small town of Elmira, New York, a boy was born into an all-American family. The odds of him opening his own clothing store at the age of 18? One in 138,000. Excited to be a part of pop culture, he packed for the big city. The odds of finding someone to invest in his vision? One in 4.5 million. The odds of him achieving his dream in the fashion industry? One in 23 million. The odds of having a child diagnosed with autism? One in 110. I am Tommy Hilfiger, and my family is affected by autism. I encourage you to learn more at autismspeaks.org signs. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Today, you brushed your teeth. You skipped the floss. You combed your hair. You took the train. You did the crossword. You missed 22 across. You went to work. You had a meeting. You ate your lunch. You had another meeting. You wondered how is anyone supposed to get any work done around here with so many meetings. You left the office. You took the train. You ate your dinner. You brushed your teeth. You did all the things that one normally does the day before a brutal EF5 tornado rips through town, leaving 30,000 people without power. You never know when the day before is the day before. Prepare for tomorrow at ready.gov today. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. 
Joe DeMessina for RAD, recording artists, actors, and athletes against drunk driving. I'm here to remind you, if you celebrate, then designate. A public service message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. Stay somewhere around free of No telling what they're talking about or what's going around. It's too late. Hi, we're the for rad recording artists, actors, and athletes against drunk driving. Music is one of the most important things in our lives, but nothing is more important than life itself. Drinking and driving risk your life and the life of everybody on the road. So choose a designated driver. Music lives, and you should too. Public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. If this radio spot were Nikki Baker's life, it would start pretty normal, like this. But, but then, then right, right around here, her life would take a bad turn with her mother abusing her. And about this far in, Nikki would drop out of high school and run away. Here, she'd be forced to work two jobs struggling to support herself and her daughter. She'd feel stuck, stuck, stuck. But stuck. then she'd decide to earn her GED diploma. She'd take my prep classes. Study every night and feel unstuck. Because she finally hears someone say, Nikki Baker, come up and get your GED diploma. If this radio spot were Nikki Baker's life, the ending wouldn't be the ending at all. It would be the beginning of a brighter future. For free info about GED test prep classes, call 1-877-38-YOUR-GED or visit yourged.org. GED is a registered trademark of the American Council on Education, brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. You will never find wretched hive of scum and villainy. This is 90.7 WXIN. Ninety point seven WXIN Stadium Experience. Jordan Moment here alongside me. Just speaking with Jordan, as you get the annunciation of his last name, Perigo. I feel like I'm saying it wrong the same way every time. I. <laughs> you just tuned out when the hockey started. A little bit. You just tuned. You just. You just. I, I think. I think he said it was Perigo. Yeah. Well, Jeremy Perigo, guy of Boston sports. Once again, go follow him on Twitter. Yeah. Sorry, Jeremy. We both. Yeah. Sorry, Jeremy. <laughs> Make a couple more appearances. Maybe I'll get it right. I'm so pretty sure I get Job's last name wrong every time. Remember Job. I do remember Job. <laughs> Open the Peace Corps or something now. But uh, anyway, we were just talking some puck with him. We were talking Celtics before, and I kind of want to, you know, I kind of want to activate uh, activate my polymerization right here and kind of discuss both topics because something that I've been dwelling on, not dwelling on, something I've been mm-hmm. talking about. You know, one of the many things I've just been kind of. To no special summoning, just just throwing down the polymerization. Well, fusion is a spe- fusion summoning is a special summoning. Jesus Christ, Jordan. I know, but like compared to like the actual special summoning. Well, no, special summoning and special summoning is a lot of different types of summoning. Fusion summoning yeah. is a type of special summoning. I mean, I don't think it should be considered like special summoning. Anymore. Yes, special th- th- summoning is nothing any- special about it. Well, special summoning is any summoning that's not your normal summon. All right, I guess it's categorized as special. Yes, it's a, it's a right. special summoning method. There are a lot of special summoning methods. 
special summon, or you have your fusion summoning, mm. your synchro summoning, your XC summoning, your pendulum summoning, your link summoning, your ritual summoning. I think that's it. Then you know, just your normal white bread special summoning. So ritual counts as summon. It's a, a special, special summoning. Yeah, because it's not normal summon. All right. It's okay. a special summon. All right. Yeah, it's a ritual summon. Okay. Got to bring out like your Gishki deck or something, or my my relinquished deck that I've been running lately on YGO Pro, which is super fun. But I don't want to buy the cards because I don't have the money to drop for like the playset of relinquished fusion, which is too expensive for like a deck that's like not good. I'm not gonna like go anywhere with. You don't have seven hundred dollars to build your 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 relinquished well, deck. Well, more like a hundred hundred fifty dollar deck, which like, I have spent on decks before, but I just don't feel like spending on this because I'm not like I've been playing competitively as much as I used to mm. back in my prime. But anyway, so yeah, I want to fuse these two topics together. I'm, that metaphor really worked. That really helped. That really helped make it a nice smooth transition, like I hoped. I think I'll just throw that down, and then it'll, it'll make the transition to the next topic smooth, but instead now it just bogged down in <laughs> summoning methods. There's a lot of summoning methods. There's a lot of summoning methods. Oh, yeah, new one every format. Yeah, Yu-Gi-Oh! is a very convoluted game. New one, ah! It's pretty convoluted. It's, it's hard to, like... Everyone makes sense. It's hard if, like, you haven't played, and then you try to come back with all these new summoning methods. Like, like playing, like, consistently, like, everyone gets introduced, it's pretty easy to adjust to. Yeah. But it's... Yeah, last time I was really into Yu-Gi-Oh! Pendulums had just come out. Yeah. Well, yeah. they well when they brought out link summoning, they they nerfed pendulum summoning, which so it, pendulum which, which they were is, right to do. Which pendulum? Ah, now pendulum summoning is kind of garbage. Like pendulum summoning was never like that that broken. It was like, kind of broken. But you see, like conceptually, yeah. But like there's, there weren't that many decks that were really using pendulums. Like the pendulum like magician deck was really annoying. But that wasn't because of like how the mechanic of pendulum summoning worked. That was just like they have the, really good cards. The effects of those specific cards, and that like the nerf didn't affect that. It just like the, I don't know, like pendulum summoning was never that broken. It never was. Like really, like it really never was. It was fine. I don't know why they nerfed it. Really, well, they nerfed it because they wanted to make links more important. Because links just kind of, we said they kind of changed the way the entire game works, which I kind of don't love. Yeah, but. That's, you know, that's a three-year-old YouTube video that I could have made. So that's a little, little over and done with uh, debating links. That was, that was two, three years ago. So okay. so I missed, missed the boat on that one. But, yeah, finally America. Here's my take on link summoning. But yeah, I mean, pendulums are really never that broken. Once again, like you came in, and all people were like, you know, especially people like kind of played the like, oh, well, you can just play all the monsters you want. Oh, that's so broken. It just never wasn't that broken. It just never ended up being that. It just, which is good, good on Konami. Like they, I don't know, never felt like it was that unbalanced. Like most of the formats in the Pendulum era just weren't like, there weren't like Pendulum decks topping all the time. So, yeah, yeah, like pen Pendulum was kind of fun. Once I started using them, I was kind of like, oh, these are fun. You can play them, then you can play all these other things, and then you can... Yeah. I don't know, it's always felt fairly balanced. So, not that Yu-Gi-Oh! wasn't a broken mess for the entire Pendulum era. No, I'm not, I'm not debating that. A lot of those formats were freaking terrible with, like, Burning Abyss and the Monarch decks everywhere. Oh, my God. Do not get me started on Monarchs. Okay, yeah. F a game. F making a deck that's based around just stopping the opponent from using game mechanics. What's fun about that? What's fun about that? Nothing. Why design that? Like, I get it that there are people who are like, oh, I hate all the special summoning. Fair enough, but, like, the inverse is it's not fun to make a deck that just shuts down the extra deck. Like, what's what's fun about that? Now, like, I can't play because I built my deck a certain way? Like, that's... 
There's no interaction. Like, it's just you build your board, and now I can't use my extra deck, and my deck is very dependent on summoning, you know, my fusions and my XCs. It's like, now you win, I guess, because I can't do anything. It's just, it's just ah, it's not fun to build a deck that, like, stops you from doing anything. It's not fun. Yeah, like everybody, but everybody, see, everybody got all like elitist about their monarch decks. Like, oh no, like they 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 thought they were noble for playing their monarch decks because it's like, oh, I'm stopping all this extra deck crap. Oh, I'm noble because I have my monarch deck. Mm. Screw you. That's why you just need a water run a water deck. Screw everybody. And do a Mako tsunami. <laughs> legendary o- legendary ocean. Jordan just whipping out that. Be like, oh, now I can summon my level five. Mo- I can summon yeah. my my sea kraken without a tribute. Man, one, one day we're going to talk about all the sub characters in Yu Gi Oh. You want to do a do a do a minor Yu Gi Oh character analysis yeah. podcast one day? Yeah, or do you want to do like an episode by episode of each one? Do I do like, like I, I feel I feel like Bandit Keith needs at least two episodes. <laughs> his, name, his, na- his name is Bandit Keith. Only in the American <laughs> version. His his Japan. What is what is his Japanese name? It doesn't matter. It's not better than Bandit Keith. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. Bandit Keith. Dude, dude lost the tournament and tried to murder a guy. <laughs> dude lost the tournament and immediately went after cheating a ton himself. Yeah. Okay, well, in the Singapore dub, apparently he's known as the K-Man. Oh, that's pretty good, too. But no, actually, no, it's his name in the Japanese version is also Bandit Keith. <laughs> yeah. Which is his nickname, of course. But No, 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 that's his name. That's his legal name. <laughs> He got, the ban- le- he got the legal change for branding purposes. Yeah, it's Bandit Keith Walker. He brought, it, he brought his birth certificate down to City Hall and was like, yeah, I don't know, ba- Bandit Keith. Was that Chester? No, it's Bandit now. Yeah, he got himself an America, like, bandana. Well, he's from America. Put it on his head. Well, he's from America. I know, but it's just the, it's just the U.S. He got, flag yeah, and he got, he got the bandana. Yeah, there's Bandit it's Keith. amazing. Got his vest on. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, Bandit, kidding me? Like Bandit play- Keith. Playing his deck full of machines, yeah, just like lost the tournament once again. That he very that he very obviously cheated in. Then immediately was like, well, time to murder the guy who I watched rip somebody's soul out. Yep. Time to just time to just lunge at that guy, which didn't work. Nope. Which he died in the manga, but not in the anime. In the anime, he did not die. In the manga, he died. In the in the manga, he drowned to death. Mm-hmm. But in the anime, the rare hunters found him because the rare hunters were just sailing around on a boat. And then they made him a rare hunter. And Yugi duels him in some anime filler. He steals a Millennium Puzzle, which nobody ever thinks to do. He just runs away with it and then makes Yugi duel him. And then the burn- building starts burning and he's the first guy who merit controlled. And then I'm pretty sure he dies. But in the Yu-Gi-Oh! R manga... Mm. which is based on the manga continuity and is his own side story. He did die. Then he got brought back to life by these guys who were trying to resurrect Pegasus because in the manga, Pegasus also dies. Yeah, because everyone dies in the manga. But Korra kills him. Doesn't kill him in the anime, though, which I'm glad because he has all these great appearances in the anime. And in GX, Pegasus also pops up a lot in GX. I like Pegasus. I like Pegasus, too. But, yeah, so Bandit Keith pops gets brought back to life by these guys who are trying to resurrect Pegasus and then he like has a rematch with Joey and Joey Wheeler yeah he has a rematch with Joey Wheeler he does he has a rematch with him he does he has this rematch with Joey (laughs) Wheeler and then he uh and like he tries to cheat but like the dual discs like don't let that happen like there's one point when he tries to like pull a card out from his sleeve and then a dual disc like like scans your deck I guess it's like no 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 this wasn't in your deck before you can't do it. 
And then it turns out that, like, Joey, like, stole Bandit Keith's uh, time machine card after they duel. So, like, he whips that out at, like, the end of the duel. Because, like, he, he used Grave Robber to use that when he dueled Bandit Keith the first time. And I guess, like, after... Ba and, like, it literally chills. Like, after, like, Bandit Keith fell to his death, Joey, like, just walked to his deck and just, like, kind of, like, swiped that bad boy. Mm. But didn't take the whole deck for some reason. Since apparently there's only like one of every card in the world of the anime. So you think he'd take them all. It'd be like, oh, I'll just grab like this barrel dragon real quick. Which also barrel dragon would work, because in the because in real life, barrel dragon is actually a luck-based card, which would fit with Joey's deck, and now I want this headcanon with Joey has barrel dragon. Wait a minute. We'll make 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 a Joey wheel a deck. Because the real because the real barrel dragon card, well, it's garbage. And the yeah. real card it uh well it's like you, you flip a coin. And if you get like two out of three heads, you can you can destroy another monster. Which I mean, you know, Joey's got all the luck cards, so really, Barrel Dragon would be a would be a great. He doesn't take Metal Morph either, which is a shame because Metal Morph is a good card. And he just I don't know, like why if if you're willing to take this dead man's cards, why not just take them all? I mean, God, I mean not them all because Bandit Keith had you know like the eight decks and like his his jacket because when he when he was getting bones ready, we do an episode on bones too. <laughs> bones dies in the monk in the anime. Bones gets sent to the Shadow Realm by Bakura during Battle City. Because Bones almost makes the finals of Battle City. Like, credit to him. Well, no, no, wait, because he cheated. Never mind. <laughs> nah, because what, what Bones did was uh, Bones would bring everybody who was going to duel to this graveyard. And then he'd have, like, his friends jump out and scare people. So they'd drop their locator cards. Mm. So then Bones got, got up to six locator cards that way. And then... And then Bakura rolled up and was like, I need six locator cards. I only have one. And he went, well, why would I bet six versus one? And he went, because you don't have any time. And he went, fair enough. And then they dueled. And then, you know, Bakura just, like, sent him to the Shadow Realm. And those other two guys. Remember Bone's friends? Remember Bone's friends? Vaguely. The two the two guys? One of them's got red hair? Yeah. Yeah, he, uh... Yeah, they went to the Shadow Realm with him. You know, they weren't dueling, which is kind of a dick move. I don't know, don't know how the rules work on that. Anyways, you could just like, kind of like have people be like collateral damage in a shadow game, but I guess I guess people can just be collateral damage in a shadow game, which feels very unfair. Kind of cool, Picard, just like three v one to these dudes. I mean, the whole concept of a shadow game is pretty much unfair. But um, yeah. So that's that's yeah. We can start that pod soon. What can we call it? Uh, no idea. Triple uh, A duelists. I don't know. We'll think of something. Oh, I think I said, what, 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 no, I want to name it now. What would it be called? Can we do an episode <laughs> on, like, Rebecca? Can we do an episode on Duke Devlin? Of course we can. <laughs> do an episode on Duke Devlin. He enslaved a man. Duke Devlin, human trafficker. Yep. The Like, the anime, for all the ways it tried to remove death, added the subplot of Duke Devlin enslaving Joey Wheeler. Making him dress like a furry. Yep. Just beats him as immediately, like, dressed like a dog. Put on this dog costume. You're my slave now. And he does it. This is weird. Talk about the weird sex, the the, uh, the repressed sexual desires of Duke Devlin. <laughs> <laughs> Get really into his psyche. Yeah. Yep. He just wants his his big dog. Uh, big dog. Big, God damn it! Now I'm picturing Duke Devlin watching Clifford the Big Red Dog. Ah, <laughs> uh, now that's in my head. That's uh -huh. in all your heads now, but. Do an episode on... It's a cursed image. I know. Do an episode on Grandpa. Yep. Yeah, do an episode on Grandpa. Do an episode on uh, an episode of Mokuba. 
about how destroyed his psyche probably is at this point. Yeah. <laughs> New episode on. Who are the good characters? I'm not just gonna. I'm not just name. I'm just gonna list characters to flex all the minor, you know, dual monsters characters I know. I'm gonna. I'm thinking the good ones. Don't worry, everybody. I'm not just gonna sit here and just prattle off every one. Like I don't have enough context in the episode to do like Rex Raptor, please. But I'm doing it. Rex Raptor, of course he gets it. Uh, maybe him and Weevil can get like a combined episode. That's fair. Because they're kind of like two halves of the same coin. Mm-hmm. And then I like, get all the filler, they're like buddies. Just cute. But um, no, who, who else? We can do an episode on other minor characters. Important minor. Uh, we can do an episode on. An episode on. I'm trying to think of a good one. What would be another good, good, good subject for a pod? Good choice. I mean. Esperoba, maybe? Mm. Mm. Doing Esperoba and his siblings episode. I mean, they can all be... Do an Arcane episode. The magician who threatens to cut Yugi's legs off. <laughs> and Merrick threatens with, with the return of his love. Ar- Arcane was in it for love. Yep. Which is pretty relatable. Whipped out those three of uh, those three dark magicians. Wanted to get his girlfriend back, and Merrick's like, "Oh yeah, she's she's right behind that curtain." She went behind that curtain. There was a mannequin. Yep. Which which like crushed me when I was like eight. I felt so bad for the guy. They got hit with like those you know those shadow realm buzz saws that sent him to the shadow realm. You know, didn't cut his legs off. Nope, just sent him to the shadow realm. Just like those two guys who dueled Yugi and Kaiba on top of, on top of that building. They're like, oh yeah, I know that if you lose, the glass below you will explode and you'll fall into the shadow realm. <laughs> you'll fall eighteen you'll fall forty stories and then you'll be in the shadow realm. <laughs> we we have it set up that way where there's like a oh, like a shadow realm portal, I don't know, on like floor thirty. You'll just go through it and then boom in the shadow realm. You just pop right into it. Ground level. Shadow mm-hmm. Realm. No no centrifugal force. No no gra- no gravity. No momentum falling down. Let's see other other Oh, Yu-Gi-Oh is such a ridiculous. Go uh, do uh, do an episode on trying to think. Oh, we got to do an episode on uh Raphael. <laughs> the guy I who forgot got about Raphael. The guy who got lost on a deserted island and yes. formed familial bonds with his guardians car, which by the way, guardians are trash. Guardians are so bad. Like so so inconceivably bad. But he like bonded with them and they, yeah, Raphael, interesting character. You know? And like rides his motorcycle in the darts. Doesn't work, loses his soul. Yeah, like the, the psyche of that man. You give me the backstory of that man? Trapped on an island for years, forced to grow up without human contact, glorifying the Guardian Iados. Talk about how Ra- Raphael in the formation of religions. Mm. Raphael in the genesis of faith. How how much less legitimate is Raphael's worship of the Guardians than any other religion? This is deep. Yeah, no, really. This is a good podcast. We could do we, this. Would be a whole podcast. It'd be a whole podcast. Can look at like characters' appearances in video games. Really, really dive in. Be like, oh, but what was uh, what was what was Esperoba like in Nightmare Troubadour? For the DS. What about uh, 
Those two random Game Boy games I have that look the same. They don't know what they are. <laughs> hey, Esperobo would always beat me down in like World Championship 2004. Mm. Could never get past Esperobo. Always had a lot of problems. Like whip out Jinzo and like reflect bounder and it was just it was just tough man jinzo was broken back in the day jinzo was a cool looking card jinzo is a cool looking card what's another one who else could we do who else is another good uh good minor season one character got is the nba playoffs a good we'll get there we'll get there we'll get there we'll get there Listen, my attempt at the segue has been shattered beyond belief it's fine (laughs) another good minor minor season one character Talk about, uh, well, not season one, but series one. Talk about, really dive in on hmm, the big five. The big five, the fail, the sim- the symbolism of capitalism's failings. Eh? Come on, want to talk about the five corporate executives who became obsessed with murdering a 16-year-old? Hmm? Want to talk about the big five and the failings of capitalism? Yeah. Eh? Want to dive in on the good old Big Five, who were from all the arcs that focused on Kaiba, which were great because Kaiba is a more interesting character <laughs> than anybody else by a mile. Kaiba is. What are you? What are you looking at? My mom's complaining about something. Well, we got work to do, Jordan. Yeah. Because Kaiba's because arcs focused around Kaiba are far more interesting than any other arc because Kaiba's character is. Far superior to anybody else. Oh yeah, by by a by a long shot. All the stuff about like Kaiba, like ooh, that's interesting. Ooh, he was an orphan, and then he won a game of chess, so he got adopted. Ooh, and then his adopted dad kept threatening to send him back to the orphanage if he didn't do like well enough in homeschool. Ooh, but yeah, so that's yeah. Look out for that pod. Don't know what we're gonna call it yet, but we'll. We'll, we'll think of something to name that. But anyway, back on track. So <laughs> something I've been musing about. <laughs> I mean, we get like 20 episodes out of that. That'd be like a 20 episode podcast at least. Till we get to the point where we're like digging the bottom of the barrel. It's like, all right, let's do this. Talk about how Mako Tsunami is just delusional. He's like, yeah, I got separated from my dad in the ocean like six years ago. So I think if I buy a boat, I'll be able to find him. Yeah, usually. That's how it goes. So anyway, yeah, people usually stay lost at sea for like six years. Mm. That's how it goes. Yeah. So anyway, the thing I'm thinking about is that people will often tell you, and usually rightfully so, that the NHL playoffs are far superior to the NBA playoffs. Typically, they are. Or at least typically, you can argue that. Because the NHL playoffs, you see a lot more upsets. You see... There are a lot more... Sp- the NHL playoffs are a lot more wide open, really, than any sport. A lot less top-heavy. You know, if we go on the spectrum of, like, what sports usually have the most unexpected results in the playoffs, the NBA usually has the least. The NBA is usually very top-heavy. The NFL... You know, usually the top teams in the NBA win, almost always. Especially even more so the last couple of years, but even usually there's only two or three teams that really matter in the NBA at any given time. But, and then, you know, NFL and MLB, I'll say, are fairly even in that regard. 
And then you have the NHL, where just everything is just a lot happens. But I will say this. The NHL playoffs on paper this year have been really exciting. On paper, for sure. You've had a lot of upsets. You had, you had once again, you had the top teams, a lot of the top teams eliminated really early on in the first round. The Flames were gone. The Thunder were gone. The, the Lightning were gone. The Caps were gone. The, the Golden Knights were gone early. Like, you have a lot of upsets. But in on the other side of that, you've had a lot of lesser teams move on, which is upsets are exciting. Upsets are always exciting. Upsets are, on, in general, usually good for a sport. Am I wrong to say that, Jordan? No. No, playoff upsets are good because they they remind, you know, they remind fan anything can happen. You can get invested in this. Like, you, know, you don't know the outcome. You know, this isn't the NBA. Yeah, which is the comparison people make. But that being said, with a lot of these teams, you know, the, the Blue Jackets of the world, the Blues of the world, the Hurricanes of the world, overall, you've seen... These teams that these inferior teams they've been playing sort of an inferior style of hockey because you had a massive talent exodus in the first two rounds of the NHL playoffs. To the point where suddenly the Bruins were the most talented team, and they were not even probably one of the top three, four teams overall in the league coming into the playoffs. And then suddenly they were the best team, which shows you that, you know, yeah, the top teams are gone. And that's exciting on one hand, but also, like I said, that. As you know, you've had series like the Blue Jacket series where teams are just playing these less, these less exciting, less explosive styles of hockey because they don't have the talent, they don't have these top flight players, and thusly you've had series that, you know, like you had the Hurricanes who were just terrible and they got swept. You've had that that Blue Jacket series which wasn't that exciting to watch, so you've had the quality of play sort of suffer in some of these early goings. When meanwhile. You know, the NBA, you had, in the end, like, the best teams kind of boiled to the top, but you had a lot of exciting series in the NBA playoffs this year. At least I feel like. like the Even the Nets, freaking the Nets series. The Nets, bleh, the Nets 76ers series. Even though it ended up being done in five, six games, it was still exciting. The Spurs Nugget series was a good series. The Portland Nugget series was a phenomenal series. That was one of the that was, that was probably the best series of the year. Yeah. You know, this Raptors Bucks series, for all I kind of said, it kind of it kind of disappointed down the stretch. But even that was a fun series. Like it felt like you had the NBA playoffs were entertaining this year. And probably more than maybe I expected. And more than maybe a lot of other people expected. So it's just comparing and contrasting the two. We all know why that is. Yes. Well, yes. But you know, just in fairness, you know, I feel like the NBA playoffs deserved a little, little, uh, little, little, little bit of a little bit of respect this year. That's all I'm saying. Compared to the NHL playoffs, once again, on paper. But Jake, you have, to, you have to remember this: nobody watches the NHL playoffs. No, the NHL playoffs on paper were excellent this year. They were. They were. You saw all the top. It's just that then when all the top teams are eliminated early, it's like, oh, now. Like, imagine the NBA. Like, it would be exciting if the Warriors got eliminated early. But then imagine if, like, you had that you had that hot round to Portland Clippers matchup. Like, you're kind of excited that you're there, but then you're like, oh, but wait a minute. These teams aren't as exciting to watch. So it's, I don't know. 
I'm not I'm not anti-upset. Upsets are great, but I don't know. It just feels like, you know, the NHL. Maybe the NHL had too many upsets in the playoffs this year. The point where it, where it was kind of a detriment to the overall quality of play. So, maybe, and that's what we... Maybe it's, you know, empty nets. It's empty nets, yes. Yeah. All right, anyway, though, with all that... I think that's about enough for us here today. You've been listening to the Stadium Experience with your host, Jake Elmsley, on 90.7 WXIN. Jordan Moment, been here with me. We'll be back next week. And what is our new time slot? I forgot to mention that. We are now broadcasting Tuesdays, 4 to 6 p.m. Come back next week. Because you're, you're a tool to the man. Yes, I am a tool to the man. A traitor to our class. Yes, I am a class traitor. So we'll be back next week. I'm using. I'm now. I'm losing all my cool indie radio cred. <laughs> mm. Anyway, we'll be back next week, Tuesday, four to six p.m. Right here, we'll be seeing if maybe the one by then. Can they even win by then? How many games are gonna be done by then? What game will we be on in the playoffs? We'll be on. Ah, we could be the game four. Game four will be over by Monday, so maybe. Who knows? There's another sweep. We'll talk about that. We will talk. I don't know. Red Sox probably. I'll probably find another NBA thing to complain about. Just remember, baseball is a thing. Yes, no, we'll be back. Uh, ben Watson, sad he's suspended. Damn, my takes on that. All right, we'll see you next week. <laughs> Have a good weekend.